Well, they introduced me to a new way of knowing what fear is tonight. Two ways. One, Alan's not here. And so they said, why don't you talk instead? Then they put this microphone thing on me. I did ask for it. And they said, we'll control it for you. Don't worry about it. So I'm in the back screaming my head off during worship, having a great time. And, and then I, whoa, wait a minute. What if they, wow. And then I got really scared. So I, I toned down. I mean, I can kind of sing a little bit, but it's just that you don't want it to just be coming on all of a sudden. So now that my heart rate is getting back down a little bit, we'll slow down. All right, so Alan isn't here. And uh, you might be wondering, who is this guy? <laughs> well, I mean, we don't mind it when they let him stand in the back with his acoustic guitar, but they gave me a microphone and said, go, you can do this, and, and it'll, be, it'll be great. And, uh, you know, you kind of wonder. But I've been where you're sitting now, and I've maybe on occasion wondered that same thing. So I know how you feel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've gone ahead of us to fight our battles. And then it's your intention to give us credit for the victory. I don't even get that. And you've invited us into a living room together to be with you, to enjoy you, to be together. And our expectation is, Holy Spirit, that you have something for us because you're such a giver and you know what we need. And so we're trusting that you have something for us today that will comfort us as we need to be comforted. You have a challenge for some of us if we need that. You have wisdom so we could tell the difference. And if not, give us what we need anyway. We trust you. I'm asking you personally that you would help me to only say good things that are in your heart and shut down anything that I would regret later. <laughs> we just wanna trust you that you have good gifts for us tonight. And so we bless you. Thank you for receiving us as yours. It is good to be your son and your bride We relish it this evening and love being together to share in it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Does it ever seem sometimes like maybe you're missing a tool, something that would open a door for truth or, or knowledge or a teaching that would, that would just really sustain you? Or have you ever felt like the prophetic words are hard to come by and you go to the meeting and it just seems like somebody else gets that word, their name is called out and the meeting just doesn't go quite long enough. Or maybe you felt like there were opportunities you would have liked to have had to study or to gain some tools and some skills to get into the word more or grab a hold of some things that would really sustain you, that would be life-giving and ongoing 
but for whatever reason, the opportunity hasn't been available. And maybe sometimes it just seems like others just get selected. I've actually felt at times like it's, this is gonna sound extreme, but tragically unfair the way things get handed out sometime. And I'm not generally a, you know, a hyperbole guy, but tragically unfair, it feels that way sometimes. Well, wouldn't it be great if there was a way to get in touch with teaching or a word that would actually be so powerful and so broadly effective and so specific for you that you could use it over and over and over again and you found it could sustain you and take you through challenging times? Or what about something that was just so deeply connected to who you are individually for you that you could just drink from that well over and over again. Some sort of a path to an insight that was so specific to you that it just felt like a match and that you could drink from it repeatedly. Is there anybody that might be interested in something like that? I see some nodding heads. Anybody over here? It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Let me tell you a story. This is the sixth grade class at Temple Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois, right about 1970 or 71. You can tell it's Baptist Church because everybody has ties on I grew up as a Baptist, and so I can say things about Baptists. That's right. And, and that wasn't just for the picture. I mean, we kind of did that. And you can tell it's 1970 because we all had ties on. That was also kind of a church thing back then. This young man right here may look slightly familiar to my mother only. That's me. This was my, uh, yeah, I had those glasses back then. What's that? that I know, I, should, I wish I had them back. There's a couple, I had this really cool green paisley shirt I wish I had back too. The gentleman right behind me, some of you may have heard of him. His name is Gary Smalley, the author he wrote quite a number of books with Dr. John Trent. He happened to be my, uh, wow, the nerves from all that fear that I was gonna sing on mic got to me. Dried my throat out. Gary Smalley, I can call him Gary, I guess, because he was my sixth grade Sunday school class teacher. I actually got to meet him again many years later because I'll, I'll tell a little bit of the story here. We moved a couple of years after this and I didn't see him again until a Promise Keepers meeting in Los Angeles. Anybody here know what Promise Keepers is? Well, he was speaking at one and I had a chance to go afterwards and I had to wait for a long time 
to reconnect with him, but I just wanted to thank him for what he did for me when I was 12, back in 1970. And what he did was, and they did it for everyone in this class, as part of our sort of graduation and, and moving along, they taught each one of us the meaning of our name, Gregory, and a scripture to go along with it. And that had an impact on my life that was kind of astounding. I mean, it, it honestly, it, it's, it seems to me now, all these years later, overly large compared to the effort that it took to do it. It was just amazing. Gregory means watchful, vigilant. And the scripture passage that he gave was Ezekiel 33, seven. And this is the commissioning of Ezekiel. And son of man is not talking about Jesus who called himself son of man. This is God just addressing Ezekiel and saying, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. And this is actually kind of a recap of the calling of Ezekiel that's in the third chapter of the book. And God was saying to him, I have a people and I am asking you to be a watchman, a guardian over them. And it's actually a pretty impactful passage. If you read the rest of it, it talks about if you don't warn them and they fail to follow my instructions, their blood is on your hands. But if you do warn them and are faithful, then they'll be responsible for it. I didn't catch all that when I was 12, but something about this, and here's the strange thing, I can't even remember the actual event. You know, when we sat down and I don't know how it went, if they just kind of went, took everybody in the room and sort of passed out, I, I don't remember anything about it. But something about this lodged deep into my soul and stuck with me for years and years, up until today even. And when I was talking earlier about what if you could get a word that have, has an impact that lasts, this was 50 years ago. And I am still grappling with it, challenged by it, and sustained by it. A couple of years after I graduated from sixth grade, we moved from Illinois out to California, a little beach town called Ventura, and I thought I was the luckiest 14-year-old on the planet. Maybe I was. I found out when we got there that ninth grade was not in high school like it was in Illinois, because I was honestly kind of thinking, I'm gonna be the new dorky kid with those glasses in a new town, and I'm gonna be a freshman. I got to Ventura and found out that in California, ninth grade was in junior high. So I was at the top of the class. And so it turned out to be really awesome living in California. And I actually lived there up until I moved here four and a half, are we coming up on five? Five years ago, all in that same town. So in any case, I, we, we lived in Ventura, uh, I grew up there, I went to college and was trying to sort out what I wanted to do and I, I, I wasn't quite sure. I graduated from college and came back home 
And I ended up going to work with my dad. And uh, I also was introduced to a, the best way I can describe it now is to call it a small Christian cult. I'm, you know, and people say, well, what? You know, well, it's not like a big famous one that we could say that, you know, books have been written about it. It was just a little local fellowship. The pastor was actually, I would say, honestly, I think he was really brilliant. He was also incredibly manipulative. And as it turned out, and I'm trying to be careful how I say this because of the audience, I don't know, but I will just say, we discovered later on that he was manipulating women and children for his own purposes. And in the meantime, I had been there for a couple of years, didn't know this, of course, but the whole level of teaching was, was very, we were really arrogant and we knew and, and it, it, it was just a very bizarre circumstance. Literally, my personality changed. The church that I was a part of warned me about it there, there was word out. I was actually traveling down to the LA area to get to this thing, and I wouldn't listen. And I got, you know, harder and harder and convinced and, and more and more arrogant. I know that's hard to, you know, to believe. I mean, look at me now. But I, I was a very, very difficult person, and I burned bridges with that church. They didn't treat me very well, but I certainly did not respond to them very well either. It was, it was difficult for both of us. And I could look back now and say, I don't know how they didn't just run me over with the church bus and just get it over with. I kind of don't blame them. But it was very disillusioning for me. I ended up kind of leaving the church and I actually ended up sort of participating in the Catholic church for a while. I wasn't a Catholic, but it's a long story. I won't bore you with the details. I ended up singing at the Catholic church as a cantor up in the back, you know, in the Catholic church, the worship team is in the back and you can't see them up, up above. And I kind of did that for a while. It, it wasn't gonna work for me long-term, but it was an interesting place for me to kind of try to heal because I was pretty bitter. I ended up meeting uh, a, another church leader. Again, I wanna be sensitive the way I tell the story. Some of my family doesn't even know this. Next thing I'm gonna say. I met a church leader he took me to uh, Mexico to visit an orphanage. I was drugged at dinner because this different guy, this is a different guy in ministry, had some of his own nefarious kind of purposes in mind. I managed to wake up and escape that in Mexico, which was very bizarre. So you only thought I was bitter after the first story. I was really kind of a mess. And as I look back, I can't honestly say that I was always really specifically aware of the scripture passage from Ezekiel and that I was a watchman. But I tell you what I knew is I always knew that God had a purpose for me and there was some kind of a destiny and a calling and it sustained me. I kind of made my way through that period of time. I actually got some counsel and got back on my feet. I ultimately ended up meeting uh, a young gal named Karen. Well, I, I say young. She was 29. I was 30 when we got married. 
but that's still kind of younger than I am now. We got married. Uh, we stayed in Ventura, where she was from. We have uh, two daughters, Lena and Krista. And when Lena, uh, they're about three years apart, um, and I was working with my dad. We'd, we'd bought our first little house on a cul-de-sac, and it actually had a white picket fence on the side, you know, all, all that stuff. And it, it, we, we kind of got back on track, it seemed. And actually, I was back in fellowship at a church and, and getting right a little bit. And uh, Karen was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so uh, she had chemotherapy and, and radiation treatment for uh, about a year. It was pretty horrible, but she got through, she made it through, and she was uh, in remission. And in the meantime, I had left the business with my dad and gone into business with my best friend. We had a vision for doing ministry of prayer and music together, sort of in our business. Uh, and so we went into land development. And so we put together a, a business with a bunch of investors, our family and friends and people that thought we knew what we were doing. And uh, we, st we started this business. And uh, shortly after we did that, Karen came to me and said, hey, um, how would you feel about maybe adoption? She had always wanted three kids and we only had Lena and Krista. We just had never had the third. I was not in favor of it, honestly, because we had this new business going and I, I thought it was a wonderful idea. I just didn't want to do it. And uh, so, but Karen's friend Joy, who was my best friend's wife, came and, and they already had three boys and long story short, God opened, I mean in a radical way, he opened my heart to consider adoption and so we went through the process and we ended up going to Russia with our friends, Jim and Joy. It's a strange story how it worked out. And we went to adopt uh, a little girl and they were gonna adopt two little girls. And we're in Russia and Karen is actually really having a very difficult time. She just doesn't feel well. We thought it was travel, you know, because I mean, it's a long way to go to get there. And so we're laying two nights, I think, before our court date. And we were there for like two weeks because uh, everything in Russia that involved paperwork took a long time. I mean, here, you know, if you need something notarized, where do you go? Anywhere you want. I mean, they probably have them at Smith's, for all I know. There, to get a document notarized, it took one whole day. Because you'd go to a notary and it wasn't open and then you'd go find another one and there was line and all that stuff. So it was a long trip and it was very arduous for Karen. And we were laying in bed one night, you know, getting ready a couple days before the actual court date to adopt Julia. And we were both kind of a mess. It's like, can we really do this? And the Lord spoke to us very specifically through a scripture in Psalm 68. It says, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. And it was one of those rare occasions for me, this doesn't happen very often, but it was like there was a highlighter on the page. He, 
God sets the solitary in families. And I really felt like the Lord spoke and said, you can do this, go ahead and, it would have been kind of crazy to like bail out already being in Russia, but the Lord sustained us, we did that. We came home with Yulia, we changed it to Julia when we got over here, that's how we say it here, but we, we, we kept that. And uh, right after we got back, Karen was diagnosed with a recurrence of cancer. And I'm trying to start, shorten my story. I, give me, tape a microphone to my head and say, why don't you just talk? And I'll just go. I, I need to shorten this a little bit. But we ended up fighting cancer for about eight years. And it, it was really hard. She had a lot of ups and downs. And uh, we had a new girl in our house who was nine who didn't speak English. That was pretty crazy. And her mom was now on the sofa, you know, starting treatments again. So uh, Karen was amazing, and she managed to fight for, like I said, about eight more years, and then we lost her in 2012. And in the meantime, I had lost my business. We went into real estate land development right in the first part of the middle of the decade of the 2000s, and the whole housing market went down, and we lost literally everything. We lost our friends' money, our family's money, and our money. And that house that Karen and I had bought, we lost that. I remember standing on the courthouse steps because they were auctioning, you know, properties. And I was fighting legally because they weren't doing it right. And I, so I would go to the auctions every day. To, I was literally going to say, if you're bidding on my house, I have this letter from my attorney. And I did that for about a month. And I remember some of those days standing there. I, I mean, I could hardly believe that I was there doing that, trying to hang on to the house. But I remember thinking repeatedly, God has something for me. His hand is on my life. And it went back to this passage from Ezekiel 33. There was something about that that was so deeply personal and effective for me that it sustained me through then. We ended up losing the house and we um, had to file bankruptcy. And then, uh, like I said, then we, we, uh, we lost Karen. I'll get to the rest of the importance of the message. I'll go ahead and finish the story because what happened then, uh, a couple years later, I had some good friends in, that were in ministry in Santa Barbara and they knew of a beautiful lady named Jody who had lost her husband about two years before Karen passed away. And so they introduced us and their Jody's sitting over there right now they introduced me to Jody, and uh, she told me on our second date, oh, by the way, I'm moving. I said, oh, oh, well, when? Three weeks. And she was moving back here to Albuquerque, where she's from. So we dated. Uh, we crammed a lot in that three weeks. I got to meet all of her family and all that, and then she moved. And so we dated long distance for a year, which got really tiresome. And so I said, enough of this. 
will you marry me? And she said, yes, and she moved back to Ventura, and we lived there for a while, and then we, we moved here, which, which is wonderful, and I am so thankful to God. But that's not what the story is about tonight. The story tonight is about the fact that God provided for me a sustaining, specific, enough to me that it latched into my soul, but broad enough that it kind of covered all kinds of stuff that I hit along the way. It was amazing. It was a gift from the Lord. And I want to suggest to you that the same thing is available for each one of us. And I want to talk a little bit about how to do that, how to find a word like that that is so deep and penetrating that it can last for you and also broad enough that it covers like a whole bunch of stuff. And so I just want to talk a little bit about how to do that. There's essentially, uh, this would really, this is really, I'm finally going to get to it, the name for the sermon today. This button where, by the way, John, where should I be aiming this button? Does it matter? Down there. All right, okay, because I guess going like that isn't going to help any. Names in the scripture are really critical. And I, I'm going to skip the Old Testament survey right now, although I had one mentally prepared. But there are tons of names that are critical in the Old Testament. There are two really interesting ones that I'm just going to touch on because I find them kind of fascinating. You know the story of Zacharias. He was in the temple doing his temple duties, and an angel comes from the throne of God to tell him, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son, and he gives him the story, and John can't, or Zacharias can't believe it. And the angel says, I actually stand at the throne of God and I was sent here. You are not going to be able to speak because of your unbelief until this happens. And so you know the story. Zacharias comes out and he is unable to speak. He has to write down and they make motion. He makes motions and they realize, wow, something happened in there. Time goes by and Elizabeth becomes pregnant. They have a baby and now they're at the ceremony where they have to announce the baby's name. Because John can't speak, they ask, or Zechariah, I keep doing that, Zechariah can't speak, they ask Elizabeth, what's his name going to be? And she says, John. And they say, you don't have anybody in your family named John. And so this cracks me up. They made signs to his father. He's not deaf, he just can't speak. That's a mystery to me from the Bible that I cannot explain. I don't know. But they ask him, what does he want to name the child? And he gets a tablet and writes, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And as soon as he spoke, or wrote, his son's name in obedience, his ability to speak was restored, and he began to praise God. Isn't that interesting? It was about the name. Because if you read the beginning of the story, you say, well, did the angel mean when, the, when John was born, when he baptized, what, you know, what? It's when Zacharias speaks his name. There's another one that that's, to me is, is interesting. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 16 about a rich man 
and he never says his name in the whole parable. Just a guy, a rich guy, who was dressed in purple, fine linen, lived in luxury every day, and at his gate was laid a beggar named, and then he names that man, Lazarus. And you know what Lazarus means? God has helped. And he goes on and he tells the parable, and, and to, I, I won't, I'm not gonna tell the whole parable. To me, what's important about this, there was something about names that Jesus tells a parable and one guy he names and one guy he doesn't. And in this particular story, Lazarus is pointed out as one who has received help from God. So all through the New Testament, we see the, the importance of names. So what I wanna talk about tonight is a way to lock into a word that's sustaining long-term is to get a name for yourself. That's the name of the, of the message tonight. You need to get a name for yourself. Subtitled, Who Does He Think You Are? You need to know that. Now, I'm gonna propose something to you that I cannot prove from the scriptures specifically, but I want you to make a little thought experiment out of it. If God is aware of everybody, everywhere, at all times, and I think I could show from the scriptures that the fact that you live in the 21st century is a specific assignment from God, is it possible that even if your parents didn't give any thought to what your name means, the Lord could use it in your life? My parents did not know. In fact, I'm not sure they know now unless they're watching this right now, which I don't know if they are. I might call them and say, you gotta see what I, what I did. They didn't know the meaning of my name. They just liked the sound of Gregory Allen. Yes, my middle name is Allen. A-L-A-N. Allen means little rock. Or handsome. I'm just saying, it just depends on what. I, I'm just, Alan, I know he's gonna, he's gonna like that. But the point is, my parents had no idea. They didn't know what my brothers and sisters' names mean either. They just chose them. For most of us, that's probably the case. But I'm gonna say to you, I think God knows and he can use what our names are and what they mean. So I'm gonna suggest to you that you can search this out and learn a lesson from the Lord that will minister to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in Proverbs 25 two, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. Now, the fact that God is God means that some of this stuff is concealed because there's no way we can get all of it. And that's his glory, he is infinite. But we are royal in Jesus, we've been called in. It's a glory of ours to search things out. I'm gonna suggest to you that there are three things that you could do to take you off the waiting list at the prophetic meeting, although I'm in favor of those. And it could limit the requirement of you needing to get your master of divinity to get something from the word of God. And I'm just gonna show you three quick things that you could do to search out a truth that could make a difference. 
maybe the battery's getting weak or my thumb is getting tired. Because it says the battery's good. All right. So let's start with your own name. Now, some people, you all are actually amazing. Hardly any of you are actually looking up the meaning of your name on your phone right now, which you could be doing. Please don't do that. Hang on. Now, those of you that are home, I have no control over what you're doing. In fact, you probably walked away to the fridge like 30 seconds ago. But I'm going to suggest to you that if by the Holy Spirit you would seek him about the meaning of your name, he would speak to you about that. Now, let me give you a couple of tips. There are four basic categories that could potentially happen when you start to look for what your name means. One, you might have one that's relatively easy and straightforward, like mine happened to be Gregory. You look it up, and it's actually got something kind of biblical and a Bible verse to go with it fairly easily. Do you know what Bradley means? That's right. My brother's name is Bradley. A broad meadow. Now, picture this. How did you know that? Well, I know. That's why I picked on you. Man, did I set myself up for that one. No. Okay, how do you know what your name actually is? No. How do you know the meaning of your name? Fantastic. Picture this. You're tromping your way through a deep, dark forest. The roots are hanging your feet up. It's dusty. It's dark. You can't see. Could be somebody chasing you. It's dark. And all of a sudden, you come to a big, wide meadow. It's full of light. It's open. And you can build something there. That's what Bradley means. You might find that your name means something awesome like that, and it's really easy. You know what Stephen means? You know what Lauren means? Did you know they mean the same thing? You do know that. It's amazing. It's just, I find these things, by the way, I do not know the meaning of everyone's name in here. Only the front row. That's because all the dudes are named Stephen, except for Bradley and King. And King is too dang easy. I mean, come on. So, uh, by the way, Stephen and Lauren means a wreath or a crown that comes to a victor. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? My sister's name is Laura, so I know that. So you ponder that in the spirit and say, Lord, what does it mean for me to be one who is preparing to win? So those are the easy ones. You might have a name that you just look it up and go, whoa, that's great and find a verse for it, it's easy. The second category is one, maybe you have a really unusual name, like Seiji. He's not, he's not here tonight. But Seiji, you know what I found, because first I thought, wow, that's gonna be a hard one. It's not, all you gotta do is Google it. It means lawful or just. I mean, if he was here, he'd stand up taller. That's an awesome name. So don't assume that because your name is unusual, you can't find it. But I'm gonna suggest to you that it's not enough just to find it, but then we are people of the word, so look and see if there are some scriptures that go with it. 
And then, and we are also people of the Spirit. Ask Holy Spirit, what does it mean for me to be in line for victory? What does it mean to be an open place for light to shine and for something to be built? And the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And I can tell you that it will go into your soul so deep that it'll sustain you. It's amazing. I found it to be true. And it lasted for over 50 years so far. I just found out a couple weeks ago a verse I didn't know about my name. Genesis 2.15 says that Adam was put in the garden to tend and to keep it. And the word for keep is the same as the word for a watchman or a guardian. 50 years later, I'm still learning stuff about what the Lord would speak to me through the meaning of my name. It's amazing. The third category of names is there are some names that they, they seem a little, they'll, they'll kind of stump you at first, like Colleen. You know what Colleen means? Girl. Now, some people would say, what? You know, I mean, and, and so my daughter, Julia, Yulia from Russia, it means youthful. Well, all right, you know, I mean, at some point you grow out of that, doesn't fit anymore. So I prayed about what her name means when she was young, when she first came to live with us. And I said, Lord, what does it mean to be youthful? And he began to speak to me about innocence and purity and exuberance and energy. So I began to pray that over Julia. Colleen means girl. And when Colleen was speaking here a few weeks ago, I actually discovered that because I was thinking about this. And I looked it up and the Lord immediately spoke to me about Proverbs 31. And he, and he highlighted a specific verse, which I told the Colleen. And then she said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I, I, she, we, we were teasing each other a little bit. But it talked about her the virtuous woman, the girl, and her words being a law of kindness. And that particular night, she had some things that were a little bit less than comfortable or kind, and so she kind of came back at me. But the point is, don't give up if you find that your name is a little bit obscure. Holy Spirit knows what it is about girl that he, or youthful, that he would build into your life and he has something for you. And the last one is there, there are some names that are a little tricky, like Jacob. And we've talked about that one before. Jacob means deceitful. And some of you might look up the meaning of your name and find something like that. And I want to encourage you, Holy Spirit can fix anything. Did you know that Jacob's name being changed is recorded twice in the book of Genesis, not just once. It's uh, talked about in Genesis 32 and then three chapters later again in 35. God had a new name for Jacob and he changed his name to Israel which means the one that encounters and wrestles with God. 
So let's just say you say, that crazy Greg guy put me onto this study and I decided to find out what my name means and it turns out to be a real drag. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't fix all the messes, but Holy Spirit can. And I am totally a believer in adoption and new names. And so you ask Holy Spirit to reveal what to do about your name. And the other thing is, and I know, and I know, I mean, some of us have some pretty rough stories. There are people that were named after somebody that is shockingly painful, and you still have that in your life. God can fix that for you, and I believe he will. I believe he wants to remake that for you. And I think there's a reason why it's in the book of Genesis twice. Because God changes names. So that's the first one, is to go on a little journey, search out the meaning of your own name, and do it in faith. Faith that God knows you, he knows your name, and he has something for you to teach you and sustain you. The second way uh, that you might approach this to search something out is to actually do a study on names. And I brought a prop up here because uh, I know that crowds are changing these days. This is actually a book. <laughs> and it's made out of paper. And I love, I love me some books. This is Young's Analytical Concordance. And a lot of you have... Uh, Bibles that are made out of paper and in the back of them sometimes there's a little con con concordance. I never used to stutter. But it's pretty cool to have a big one, a book. And I actually bought this one from thriftbooks.com for seven bucks because it, it's used, it's got some wrinkled pages in it. I used to have two of these and then I, you know, cut back on some stuff and, I, and then I got to missing it. So my, my point is, um, there actually is an advantage to using paper books, and I, I'm not gonna get on anybody who, who reads the Bible on their phone, but there are some advantages to paper. The other version is called Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, and when I was a kid, we used to joke about that. It's, you have to be strong to carry it because it's exhaustive. Ah, ha, ha, I know, it's funny. But they're both actually great. They're about this big, but I'll tell you why they're awesome. I zoomed in a little bit, and it's still hard to see. But what you can do in a book that you can't do on your phone is you see those two red lines there? Those are the two passages in Genesis where it talks about Jacob getting his name changed. And I love to write stuff in a book. And it puts it in my brain. Now, maybe your brain isn't like mine, but I think you'll find that if you're gonna search something out, you might wanna try doing it in books. I'm just saying this is just my, they gave me one chance to speak and I said, I'm gonna give them a suggestion about using a book. One other advantage. I don't know if you can see this from there, but that little note there, it says October 20th, 2005. I wrote that in that Bible on that night in Russia when we were tempted to find a, you know, a, a way out and the Lord spoke to us. And I haven't found a way to do that on my phone yet. I know you probably can, but I don't have an iPhone, I know. 
but it works for me on paper. So I'm just gonna say, you might try searching things out in paper books. If you don't wanna go through the big long journey of grabbing a hold of one of these, I'm curious, I wish I could track thrift books and see who's actually online at home now buying one. Maybe they'll sell two or three. The third option would be to simply take one of these two scriptures, and I'll give them to you for free. It says in Acts eleven twenty six, and the disciples were called Christians, which means little Christ in Antioch. And so I would challenge you, if you don't wanna do all the study, you and Holy Spirit ponder what it means that your name is now little Christ. says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called or named saints. If you were to ponder in the presence of Holy Spirit, what does it mean that my name is now saint? Will you speak to me about it and ask him to press into your heart with that? I believe you will get the prophetic word that you need to be sustained and you don't even have to wait in line at the meeting. I'm just saying. I believe he has something for you. And one more thing, which I didn't put any notes or anything like that. This is amazing. When you begin to learn the meaning of names to pray for my children. My oldest daughter, her name is Lena, which means either, if it's kind of associated with Elaine, it means light, or lane, like a path. I put them both together. I asked God to bless her with light on her path and that she would be a light and a path to the Lord. Krista is my, our second daughter. It means follower of Christ. And so we pray that over her. And Julia, I already told you about her, her middle name, when we adopted her, we wanted to do something that would kind of keep the Russian thing going. And so we took Karen, and we named Julia, her middle name is Karina. We took the Russian version of it. And Karen means pure. So she's youthful, exuberant, innocent, pure. And I, we pray that over Julia. And I do to this day, and now she's older. But I'm gonna to suggest to you that you can bless the people that you know, your own children, your wife. I know what Jody means. Jody means Jehovah increases. And so I'll pray over Jody sometimes that she would receive the increase from the Lord. And so it's a tool that you can use that is so simple. All I can do is give you a testimony that for me in my life, knowing and exercising with Holy Spirit what my name means has been transformative. It's just been amazing. And as believers, we believe in being named by the Lord and that it has power. And as believers... We believe in adoption 
and getting new names and transformation that comes from getting a new name. And we believe in blessing one another. And one of the ways that we can bless one another is to consider and speak over them. A lot of times when I'll have somebody come up in the front, because I'm kind of on the ministry team, which is really cool, and I got to pray for Daniel. We got a bunch of Daniels in here, which is cool. There's Daniel over there. I actually love a church that has a bunch of people with the same name, because then, you know, you can, I can cover like a bunch of people. But Daniel has L in it, God's name. And I was able to pray for Daniel last Sunday and he is leaving, he left this week to go to Bethel, which has the name of God in it. And it was, just, it was just cool to be able to pray for him in that way. A few weeks ago, well, I won't, I won't go off on that story. My point is, we believe in blessing one another and God has given us names as a way to do that, to receive it for ourselves and then to bless one another. The way the Lord made for us to enter into life in the Holy Spirit is through giving himself. So we're gonna share communion together. So if you don't have the communion elements, Steve, which means wreath of victory, is gonna move around and get that to you. So if you don't have that, I wanna make sure everybody has this. And we're gonna take communion together, celebrating the fact that Jesus made a way for us to enter into fulfillment of the good name that we've received in the Lord. passage in Isaiah 62 that says it's the Lord speaking to his people to the city never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God for the Lord delights and we have entered into that as sons of Abraham by faith. We've received those names because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And he taught us to take the bread, to consider that his body, he was giving it for us, and we receive a new relationship with the Father and a new name in the Spirit because of the gift of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. We receive your body.
And at that same meal, Jesus took a cup. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. And it's his blood that takes anything about our old name that needs to get washed off and washes it away. And it gives us life to enter into what he is speaking to our lives through Holy Spirit, new names. And we receive it from him with thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood. One of the things that I love about fellowshipping here with you all is that we don't leave hardly ever. I suppose there must be some meeting at some time where we wouldn't do this, but almost all the time we say, you know what? We're here together and we believe Holy Spirit works through us and so let's minister to each other. Let's pray together. And so I want to take a few moments now to give you an opportunity to receive ministry. Let let me have you all stand up together. And I want to take a few moments and give us a chance to minister to each other. And and I recognize that a message like this, actually any time we get together, there are all kinds of experiences of life that we're coming together. And there may be a word about names that is hard for some reason for you. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you about that tonight. There are things about you that only you and he know, and there are some things about you that only he knows. But he wants to minister to you. And we get to minister to each other. And so I wanna ask If it's on your heart tonight to receive from the Lord a a touch, a revelation about who you are, who does he think you are? I believe Holy Spirit wants to release that to you. I bless you with the same level of gift and more that he gave to me when I was a 12-year-old spoke a word into my life and I believe he has that and more tonight 